Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Just raise your hands and just praise Jesus. We praise your name, Jesus. There is no greater name than the name of Jesus. There is no more powerful, mightier, saving name than the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And you are alive to us, Lord. You live within us. And we use the name of Jesus, and it is powerful. We worship the name of Jesus, and it reverberates in the heavens. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. 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 Praise the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah to the Most High God. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for your presence here today, Holy Spirit. Thank you that your presence makes the Word of God alive and real to our hearts. Thank you that the Holy Spirit touches us in ways and makes the Word of God personal and real to us. Even though it comes from one source, out of this vessel, you make it alive to every vessel. And I thank you, Lord, that there's no interference today. There's no barriers that prevent people from hearing, receiving, living, and doing the powerful word of the living God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Praise the Lord. There's a couple of reasons why we're starting 9 o'clock these two weekends. Today we're baptizing uh, a lot more people than we have in the previous weeks. And that's primarily because next Sunday, Pastor Sharon and I fly to America to go and be with Brother Jerry. And our flight leaves early in the afternoon and we want to be here with you in the morning. Uh, so... We are just being practical in the way that we do things. So thank you for accommodating us. Really appreciate it. Um, God is doing some wonderful and marvelous things. And you're allowed to say? Amen. Yes. Amen. I'm going to get uh, straight into the word here. Our foundation scripture has been Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 to 4. The Passion Translation says, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. So that means the natural realm can be very distracting. 
So actually the Bible is saying, don't be distracted by what is distracting. So everything that's going on in your life will distract you, so don't, don't let it distract you. It's a conscious choice. That's what the Bible says. Huh? Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life, and now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. That's your true life. And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, you who really are will also be revealed, for you are now one with him in his glory. So I have a, I have a question for the audience. Uh, I don't expect you all to, to shout out all at once, you know, but I have a question for the audience. What's the most important thing you couldn't do in your whole life? From the time that you're born to the time that you die. What's the most important thing that you could do? Huh? Give your life to God. Right? Get born again. Invite Jesus into your heart. Anybody like to argue with that? I mean, your eternity depends on that. If you're unsure, we can do this again. Anybody want to get saved to make sure that I go to hell and go to heaven? You can raise your hand right now and we'll pray for you. The most important thing that you can do in your whole life is give your heart to Jesus. That's it. That's the most important thing. I want, I want everybody in the church here this morning that agrees with this assessment of life to please say amen. amen. Good. We're in agreement then. And so then, what's the next most important thing that could happen in your life? First question was, what's the most important thing that must happen in your life or should happen in your life? And this question is, what's the next most important thing that could happen in your life? Are your brains smoking? Shall I help you? The next most important thing that should happen in your life is that you should make a decision to follow Jesus and become like Him. Anybody like to argue with that? So first important thing is that you must be born again. Ask Jesus to come live in your heart. Second most important thing is that you should have Him live in your heart and be, become like Him. Isn't, what, isn't that what the scripture really tells us? That if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will do my word. If you love me, then you will love each other and walk in unity. There's a whole bunch of things that Jesus says that we should become when we become like him. Right? 
The third thing that's the most important thing that happen, can happen in your life is debatable. Some would say, find a life-long married marriage partner. Others might say, find a career, then find a lifelong marriage partner. Some people might say, make a lot of money and then give it to the kingdom. The problem is those that make a lot of money give very little to the kingdom. Because money grabs them, generally speaking. So which is it? Which is it? Which is the, the third most important thing that could ever happen in your life? So first you get born again. Second is you live your life to become like him. What's the third most important thing that would happen in your life? For you to go about the Father's business. Right? So becoming like him has an automatic, has an automatic response system. When I become like him, I want to do what he tells me to do. If he's not telling you what to do, then you're not becoming like him. Then the only reason you're saved is an insurance policy. I'm not going to go to hell, I'm going to go to heaven. So I have an insurance policy, all good, that's it, I don't need anything more. I'm going to live uh, with the distractions of the natural realm, I'm going to, that's where I'm going to live. How many Christians do you think live with distractions of the natural realm? Plenty. Even, even me and you. Ne? Yeah. I mean, even if you really are having, having uh, the second most important thing happen to you, which is becoming like him, you still have to contend with the distractions of this realm as you begin to do what he calls you to do, which is the assignment that he's placed on your life. So if you are born again and you're becoming like him, who chooses your assignment? Who chooses what you're supposed to become in life? God. No, but it's, it's my choice. I can be anything I want to be. That's what Hollywood keeps telling me. And all the psychologists you could ever visit, they want to tell you, you can become anything you want to be. You should do anything you want to do. And make Jesus the Lord of your life. Become like him. He tells you what to do. He tells you what your assignment is. He's given you gifts and callings. He's given, put all kinds of graces inside of you from before you were born. Before he even formed the universe, he knew you. The Bible says that he knew you before he even formed the, uni- formed the worlds. And he knew you with gifts and callings and things that he placed in you. So when you came to earth, you would fulfill those, not yours. I've just uh, had reason and uh, to read some of Charles Finney's Charles Finney stuff on uh, revival, and uh, he says a church should never stop a preacher from preaching very directly and touching on very sore points in people's lives. 
He said, because why else would you want somebody to preach to you? So if you're going to church for you to preach, someone to preach to you to make you feel good, then actually you're not going to church. You're just going to feel good. So he says, if you have a preacher that preaches directly to you that makes you feel uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit is touching on points in your life directly, then you know he's hearing from God and he's preaching what God wants him to say. And you should be glad because God is working with those words in your life. He can't work with words that are not designed by him to come to you. Just because a human being thinks it'll, it'll sound good to you. I am nothing except the messenger of God. And it is my job to hear from him to come and bring a message to you. And I'm sure it's a bit uncomfortable sometimes. In fact, this morning might be a little bit uncomfortable, right? Well, first of all, you're all born again. Well, most of you are. The second thing is that you all want to become like him, right? Yeah, so then the third thing is then you should welcome the idea that you can't become anything you want to become. You need to hear what God has got to say about what you become. Right? And so if you're, a, if you're an adult person and you've spent your life building a career and building things and you're hearing this message and you think, but you know what, I've, I've done a lot of things because I thought they were the good things and I did it, I made decisions for my career based on how much, whether it's a secure, it's a secure in, income base and it's a good career to have and it's likely to be a career that will last for a long time and where other people might actually get, uh, uh, not have jobs, I'll end up keeping my job because because that's what I'm supposed to do and uh, if you are in that position it's time for you to begin to say Lord I can't do anything about where I am now but what I can do is I can become like you and the more I become like you the more you can reveal yourself to me so that in my becoming like you you will reveal to me what you really want me to do and so the Lord might tell you to become some and do something that's completely too different to what you've been doing all these years and your whole financial security is built around it. What happens if he tells you to do that? You think he's not going to take care of you? The big question, of course, is do you really hear from God? Huh? Well, the only time you can say you really hear from God is if you're spending time with Him. And you're becoming like Him. And if you're spending time with Him and you're becoming like Him, then you'll be hearing from Him. Hallelujah. You remember, remember what the Lord told me to ask people wherever I go around in the world and I minister in other churches? What's the point of being a Christian? You remember that. I'm just saying it in a slightly different way today. What's the point in becoming a Christian? It's not so, well, it is so that you can go to heaven and not go to hell, but that's not the only reason you become a Christian. The reason you become a Christian is so you become spiritual. Because only spiritual people know what's in the kingdom of God, 
And they know what to bring from the kingdom of God to the kingdoms that are in the earth. Only spiritual people can do that. Not any Christian. There's a lot, there's a lot of talk in the world today about kingdom preaching and kingdom realities and and so a lot of this has been my experience anyway a lot of people that preach about the kingdom of God they preach about uh, how the church must infiltrate governments of the earth so that we can govern the earth I didn't see Jesus do that I also didn't see his disciples do that what I did see was that they brought heaven to earth as a solution whenever an answer was needed Wherever there was a solution needed, they had the answer. Because in the moment, in the place, in the time, wherever you are, you bring Jesus. That's a spiritual being. That's someone who understands the kingdom. Hallelujah. So, I'm just going to go to Romans chapter 8 verse 1 to 4. The Passion's Translation. So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the Anointed One. I want to be clear about this. This is a legal expose about a Christian's life and the way that he's permitted to live and not permitted to live according to the law and according to the law of heaven and earth and the life and death of Christ Jesus. And so there remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. If you are in life union with Jesus and there's an accusation that comes against you about a fault or a disobedience or about a sin in your life, you do not accept an accusing voice because your life is joined to his. And you might say, but I don't live that life perfectly. You, need, you, you can't on your own. And you're going to make mistakes for sure. But you're still joined to Him because you're living in your heart with Him. So your corrupt flesh might let you down, but your heart will always draw you to God. And you don't have to receive any accusation against you for anything. For the law of the spirit of life flowing through the anointed Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by the weakness of human nature. So I spoke to you about this in previous weeks and uh, I'm going to put up uh, some slides in a second here but but performance mentality of what you do and what you do right or wrong is a, is a mentality that comes from the natural world. It doesn't come from God because God has says, I've already achieved for you what you could never ever achieve for yourself through Jesus. Yet God sent us His Son in human form to identify with human weakness, clothed with humanity, God's Son gave His body to, this, to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn guilt and power of sin. Whenever you sin, 
guilt comes upon you. Condemnation comes upon you. Accusation comes upon you. And the devil makes sure you get it. Because he wants to shame you into believing you do not have the right to be with God. And you, have the not, you do not have the right to pray anymore. You do not have the right to worship anymore. You do not have the right to praise. You do not have the right to give thanks. You do not have the right to pray in tongues because you've done something that's against the will of God. And so he wants to accuse you, condemn you, and shame you. You don't have to take it. You hide behind the blood of Jesus. God's son gave his body to be sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn guilt and the power of sin. So now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. And we are free to live, not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. So you are free to make good choices, not bad ones. Grace is not the freedom to make bad choices and then just say you're sorry. Grace is the power that gives you, that the Holy Spirit gives you to not make bad choices. When the bad choice hits you in front of you, say no. Say no. Say no. I'll tell you what, if you've got a bad habit in your life, you might feel like this is not something that you can ever get rid of because it's a bad habit by the, by the very nature of a habit is that it, it consumes you. And, uh, and you, may you may feel like I can't, I can't break out of this mold. I can't break out of this habit pattern. I can't break out of this thing. Well, you can. And you might, you just have to say no. If you say no, and it, come back, it comes back 10 minutes later, and it comes again, and you say yes, you said no once. Build on that. His power gave me the grace to say no once. If I can do it once, I can do it again. The next time it comes, you say no once. And when it comes again, you say no twice. If it gets you the third time, now you build on twice. Amen. You are free to say no. You are free to live in Him. You are free to walk with Him and be a spiritual being. Hallelujah. You are free. Jesus paid the price for us to be free. He did not pay the price for us to just keep living as natural people. He paid the price for us to live as spirit beings. Spirit beings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This, morn this morning, the anointing of God came upon me with such, such strength. And... Uh, I said, Lord, uh, some of the things that, that uh, I might say today might offend some people. And he said, and so? 
He said, and so, just about every time I spoke, I offended somebody. But I also healed a lot of people. And a lot of people followed the truth and the light. So don't worry about those that you actually offend. Because you see, sometimes what, what happens is that when the Holy Spirit brings a word to you that's alive and it's real, it feels like I'm talking to you and that I know something about you. Because maybe you shared something about yourself to someone else and now you think I know something about you. When actually I'm, I'm preaching to all of you because of what the Holy Spirit told me to preach. And if it's that personal to you, thank God. It means the Holy Spirit's doing, doing His job. And I'm hopefully doing mine as good as I can. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So I've, over the weeks I've shown you some slides and I want to just run through them very quickly. If we can go to the, the oneness slide. So you rem remember this oneness slide. Okay, so... On this side over here, this is someone who lives a God life. God is the center of his world. He's made choice for him to be saved. He says, I'm becoming like you, God. And I'm, a f and I'm ready to receive my assignment. The person that lives like this will begin to live as the Ecclesia Church because they, are, they understand the ruling and the reigning through unity and through the love of God and the power of God. And for them, what happens is that when they touch relationships in life, when they touch finances in life, when they touch a career, when they touch things in life, they do it through the mindset of someone who understands what God wants, not what they want. And so when they touch the world system, the world system is through the filter of, I'm living my life for God, and I'm living my life for God in assignment, with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is all of you. I know I'm connected to the church. I'm in the church. I'm functioning in the church. I know that I'm supposed to be in the church, planted in the church, living in the church with my gifts and my callings. Now when I touch the world system, the world system has no hold on me. And then the prayer that Jesus prayed over his disciples then in John chapter 17, he said, Father, I don't ask you to save them from the evil one, but to keep them from the evil that's in the world. So the devil's always going to be there, but you don't have to be touched by him if you live in the right place with the right motive, the right way. If you're a self-oneness Christian... A self-oneness Christian says, I'm a Christian, but I want to live for myself. I want to make all my own life decisions about myself, with myself, for myself. That kind of person makes church a part of their life. And actually, church might become quite a big part of their life. But it's still only a part of their life. And they say, Lord, we're happy to hear what God has to say through the pastor. But when it comes to my financial decisions, when it comes to my education decisions, my career decisions, everything else, I don't want you involved. I don't want the church involved. I don't want you involved in it. I want to do that. Huh? And so there's been a lot of teaching over the, world, over the years. And believe me, I've heard it a lot. People say, God gave you a brain, so use it. You don't have to ask God for anything. He gave you a brain. Use your own brain. 
Well, that's good for changing a tire. I don't need to ask the Holy Spirit to please help me undo, how do I undo this nut on the wheel so I can pull the wheel off. You know, someone else can teach you that. And that's good for going to buy groceries. Use your brain. If you're looking to buy cheaper or higher quality, go to this place, go to that place. That's what's called using your brain. But the potential of your brain is never meant for you to say how I choose to use it in my future. The potential of your brain must be, should be one that God gives you the avenue where you should use it. Huh? So a self-oneness Christian is, uh, is very goal-orientated, have their own dreams, they're very uh, achievement-orientated, and, and, they, and they kind of, everything's measured in their life. Everything's measured. We've got to achieve this, achieve that, achieve that. We've got to get this goal, hit this goal, hit that goal. We've got to do this, got to do that. So that's self-oneness Christians. When they touch the world system, what do you think the world system tells them? The world system promotes their self-oneness. Because the world system says, see, if you get this degree and you get that degree, and or you go and do this, or you get a job in that company, and you got this car, or you know these people, and you're connected to these people, you see what benefits it can bring. Do you see what rewards it can bring? Do you see how secure you feel? It's paper thin. Ask all those people that lost their jobs because of COVID. Yeah. I, used to, I used to say this from the pulpit a lot. I say, you know, you can be the richest guy in the world and suddenly something can change in your life and you would trade all your money for one thing. And I, I used to say it so long ago that Steve Jobs was still alive and then Steve Jobs died from pancreatic cancer. And, and you know... He, he did. He literally gave millions and millions and millions of dollars to try and find a solution for pancreatic cancer or pancreatic transplants or whatever so that he could keep his lava, himself a little, alive a little longer because suddenly all of his billions meant what? I like Apple products. Please don't bring Android stuff around me. My whole life is an Apple ecosystem. <laughs> but that doesn't make, it doesn't make that what Steve Jobs did spiritually significant. He lived in oneness of self, doing everything that he wanted to do. But if you are a person that lives with God in your life, you will touch people, you will touch nations, you will, touch the, you will touch realms of spiritual life that I'm going to get into in a moment. And you will touch the kingdoms of the earth. You will do that as a self-oneness person, but it will all be negative to you. If you're one that person that lives in the church with the understanding of what Ecclesia is, you begin to change it because the life of God in you begins to change it. And of course, with that there is all manner of dominions and rule and authority and, 
and heavens and realms that you touch. And there's, I told you before, there's angelic hosts and there's principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. You will touch both sides when you are a person that lives like this. And so if we live under the banner of the self-existent one God, the great I am, his plans and purposes and his predestined assignment for our lives come to pass. And then when we just have these few years in this clay body that eventually just goes to sleep, our spirit man transitions to the heavenly realm with God and we stand before Jesus and he's either going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or I don't know what else he's going to say. I do know that there will be a time of judgment when even everybody, everybody, all Christians, when they see their lives and what they should have done while they were on the earth, God is going to show them what they did do versus what they should have done. And the Bible says that at that time of judgment, of all things, there will be a lot of weeping and wailing of gnashing of teeth. And people have assumed that those are the people that are going to go to hell. No, those are the, all the peoples are going to have that. Because they're going to see what plans God had for them if they had lived for Him versus what they did. You don't like what I'm preaching? Or you love what I'm preaching? So the next slide, I just want to, uh, just to remind you, I believe it's the kingdom slide. No slides. There we go. So this side is the darkness side. So how an eternal will of God people have to contend with the law, sin consciousness, performance, based results, pride, shame, your conscience, which separates you, which then makes you want to repent, and then you repeat that cycle, repeat that cycle, and eventually you can't repeat that cycle too many times before you say enough, and then you reject God and Christianity altogether. Whereas if you're on the light side, then you are a person who lives in His mercy, and the mercy and the life of God gives you the power and the grace to become relationally with him and with others what you're supposed to become that uh, that gives you gratitude and thanksgiving and it allows you to integrate with each other and with God because he's given you the power to do that then you have a recognition of what the church is and what's going on and then it allows you to renew so you can obey then you can respond and follow and you walk in the light when that cycle repeats, you respond and you follow. You respond and you follow because you obey. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then this person is, the next slide is the Ecclesia slide. And I put it this way, that the eternal will of God, which is the people, the church revealing Jesus. You have overcoming Christians. On this side, and you have Christ's life in the Ecclesia. 
But the devil has a plan also. And the devil's plan is to bring destruction. And he does it how? Compromise, division, self-will, the knowledge problem. I've talked a lot about that previously. Alternate gods, money is one of them. Careers are another thing. Self-achievements athletically and entertainment-wise, that's another thing. And he has the legitimate right to deceive you into believing all of those things are important, more important than being an overcoming Christian. But those are the things that overcoming Christians should be overcoming. But with the Holy Spirit's help and the angels and the abundance of God, we have devotion for, towards him. I think it's that side. Devotion. My printouts are the wrong way around, but... Devotion, loves and serving God. We follow God's will. We have the words of God to, with power and with strength. Our words come through our worship and our worship is in our words. Then we are able to walk in authority and honor. And when that happens, we become Christ-like, Christ-life, overcoming Christians. We become the ecclesia. And even though you may from time to time have a self-will problem because of the grace of God, you can bring it back and say, I'm going to use the words of God for my self-will to not be. And so sometimes you might have a knowledge problem that says, I want to know everything before I make a decision where the Holy Spirit is saying, just buy this property now. Hello. Or he might say, sell this now or do this now. Praise the Lord. I have already spoken much about this, so I don't want to talk too much more about it. I'm going to just read a little bit out of this book. And if you don't mind, just, just bearing with me as I read. It's not often that I do this, as you would know. But I felt this morning was important for me to read. While Jesus was talking to me, an evil spirit that looked like a monkey ran between me and Jesus and me and, uh, and, me and spread out something that looked like a black cloud or a smoke screen. I couldn't see Jesus anymore. Then the demon began jumping up and down uh, waving his arms and legs and yelling in a shrill voice, yakety, yakety, yak. I paused for a moment. I could hear that the voice of Jesus as he continued to talk to me, but I could not understand the words. I thought to myself, doesn't the Lord know I am missing what he is saying? I need to get that. It's important, but I'm missing it. I wondered why Jesus didn't command the evil spirit to stop. I waited for a few more moments. Jesus continued talking as if he didn't even know the evil spirit was present. I wondered why the Lord didn't come cast him out, but he didn't. Finally, in desperation, I pointed my finger at the evil spirit and said, I command you to be quiet and in the name of Jesus. He stopped immediately and fell to the floor. 
the black smoke screen disappeared and I could see Jesus once again. The spirit lay on the floor whimpering and whining like a whipped pup. I said, not only must you be quiet, but get up and get out of here. He got up and ran away. I was still wondering why Jesus hadn't stopped this evil spirit from interfering. And of course, Jesus knew what I was thinking. He said, if you hadn't done something about that, I could not have. Lord, I know I understand you. You said you couldn't do anything about it, but you really meant you wouldn't. No, he said, if you hadn't done something about that spirit, I couldn't have. But Lord, you can do anything. To say you couldn't is different from anything I've ever heard preached or preached myself. This really upsets my theology. Sometimes your theology needs upsetting. The Lord answered. I said, Lord, even though I'm seeing you with my own eyes, even though I hear your voice speaking to me, I plainly as any voice I've ever heard, I cannot accept that unless you prove it to me by the word of God. For the word says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I will not accept any vision. I will not accept any revelation if it cannot be proved by the Bible. Instead of becoming angry with me for saying this, Jesus smiled sweetly and he said, I will give you not just two or three witnesses, I will give you four witnesses. He said, I have read through the New Testament, I said, this is the author, I said, I have read through the New Testament 150 times and many portions of it more than that. If that is in there, I don't know about it. He's telling Jesus, who is the Word? Like, I read it 150 times, and you are the one that is the Word. Uh, yeah. Does that sound like sometimes how we behave? Our theology, more important to us. Son, there is a lot in there you don't know. The Lord pointed out, there is not a single place in the New Testament where believers are ever told to pray against the devil and I will do anything about him. There is not one instance in any of the epistles written to the churches that said to, the, to tell God to rebuke the devil or do something about, it, about the devil. If they do, they're wasting their time. God has done all he is going to do about the devil for the time being until the angel comes down from heaven, takes the chains and binds him and puts him into the bottomless pit. Every writer of the New Testament in writing to the church always told the believers to do something about the devil. The believer has the authority over the devil or the Bible wouldn't, wouldn't tell him to do something about the devil. 
Matthew 28, 18 says, All power and all power for authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And that's why I'm baptizing you today. Because this is his instruction to do that. I believe that everybody that's getting baptized, even though you may have been baptized before, there is a new level of authority that is coming upon your life. There is a new level of strength and capacity and capability spiritually, which is why I have gone at length to make sure and give people opportunity to understand why they are being baptized in water. Hallelujah. You know, uh, if you've never had a faith testimony, then it's very difficult for you to have a testimony against the devil of how your faith overcame a situation. Many, many people have never understood what it was when they were water baptized and came up, what power they had in the death and the resurrection, the identity of that death and resurrection when they were baptized. So what happens is that they don't ever go back to that moment of baptism and say, I died with Christ and I've raised with him. So that's why I, I have made it available to anybody who wants to be baptized, even though you may have been baptized before, because this is a powerful moment that we are having in this church. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and do. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to just read one more scripture in closing today. Jesus writes in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour so let's be clear if we resist the devil he will flee from us you can't wait for God to do the resisting for you He's already resisted the devil. He's already broken his power. He's already given authority to us. So for us to say, we're going to wait for, for God to deal with it, you're going to wait a long time. What we have to do is we have to resist the devil because he is going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Okay, so finally, who does the devil want to devour? All people. He doesn't want to just devour Christians. He wants to devour all people. And so because I've got a, a, a lot of people to water baptize today, and then I've got still something else after the end of that session, I've got a full morning this morning because my spiritual leader changed my direction, changed some of the course of 
my near future, so I have to adapt to accommodate his invitation and his request. Praise the Lord. So we'll be away a little bit longer than we thought. So I'm trying to get as much done today as possible. But the devil wants to devour and destroy everything. Come on, I want to make this personal. If I can't make this personal to you this morning, you're going to just see this as a message that I preached from the pulpit that was for someone else. And that's the greatest danger that we have is we sit in church and we say this message is for someone else. It's for the other people in the church. This is not for me. Especially if it hurts for you to change. Come on. So I'd like you just to take your, your index finger, either hand will do, point it at yourself like this. And just say, the devil is trying to destroy me. He will if he can. The devil is trying to destroy me. He will if he can. So where's the first point of destruction? The first point of destruction is between you and God. Don't tell me I must give my whole life to God. Don't tell me I must give my whole life to God. I've given my whole life to this. I've given my whole life. And I give a lot of money to charity. I give a whole lot of money to this. I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. Yeah, but what's your personal walk with God like? Are you doing what He's told you to do? If you're not, destruction has already begun. I was listening to one of our legacy preachers, if you like, and uh, he was talking about flying an airplane. And he said, if you have a course that you've got to get to uh, flying from one airport to another airport. And, uh, and you make a half a degree miscalculation on takeoff. As, you, as you're taking off a half a degree, degree miscalculation. Over a period of, and he was speaking in American miles. Over a period of 600 miles, that half a degree can have you hundred miles off course. Now if you're fueled for one direction and now you've gone in another direction, you may not be able to land that plane. And so what the enemy of God comes to do is he doesn't try and come with a big story about your life is going to, I'm going to destroy your life. That preacher is over-dramatizing. That pastor this morning, that preacher, don't believe him. He's, he's got to say that it's his job. Look, my life turned out okay. Oh, really? That mindset is full of pride. It's full of self-oneness. And it's already taking you away from an intimacy with God that you have no idea how good it is. Because maybe you've judged, maybe you've judged that goodness with God and mixed it up with the church. And you say, I don't need religious order. Neither do I. I hate religious order. Can I say that again, please? I hate religious order. Because religious order means you've got an order that you have to follow. 
And only through the order that you follow are you accepted by the order. But Jesus didn't come to, to die for us to have a religious order. He came to die to have a personal relationship. So the devil has come to destroy you first your walk with him. Because if he can stop you from communicating with God, if he can stop you from having a personal daily relationship where day by day you give thanks, day by day you give, you are great, you're, you're grateful to God, day by day you're saying, Lord, what does your Bible say? And you read the Bible and you take those Bible verse and you speak it out in your day and you make your walk with God a living relationship, destruction has already happened. Because what decisions you make for yourself in your self-life is so way off course from the, the one that God has got destined, destined for you. So where is the airport that God wants you to land in? It's a hundred miles away from where you are. Where's the next fueling station? It's a hundred miles away from where you are. Where's the next abundance, the life, the blessing, the order of God, all of the things that you are supposed to be getting on your life? Where is it? It's a hundred miles away. Because the devil will not tell you as you're taking off half a degree correction, half a degree correction. In fact, he's going to say, you're a half a degree. You've you got to... Go off course here because that course you plotted is not right. Yeah. He's going to try and deceive you half a degree at a time. He's not going to come with all of his darkness and all of his stuff and try and wipe you out in one shot. It's going to be subtle. Little bit by little bit. Watch as much TV as you like. Drink as much as you want to. Eat what you like. Go where you like. What is it? Whatever, whatever. It won't do you that much, Dom. Spend on your credit card now. Buy what you want now. Oh, yes, I really want this new. And you know what? I need this new washing machine, eh? Whew, my old one is 15 years old. I need this new one. Spend on your credit card now. Get it now. You don't have to wait. After all, I've got a good credit rating. Let me do it now. And then suddenly you find out the interest rates that you had when you bought it went from, I don't know, 15% to 25% on the credit card. And now suddenly you're on the limit of what you can have every month. You think the devil is going to say to you, don't buy this now. You're going to be in debt and believe me, I'm looking after you. Don't enter the world's system, the darkness of this world. So don't go there. You think the devil's going to tell you that? No, there's only one person that's going to tell you that. It's the Holy Spirit. He's going to say, don't do that. Don't do that. They'll get you into trouble later. Don't do that. Come on. Who wants to be a self-oneness Christian or a Christian that says, I'm living in God? I'm living with God. I'm going to follow God's assignment for my life. And I'm going to go with Him. And the Holy Spirit will talk to me and the Word of God will talk to me. And I will have moment by moment and day by day, I will have real personal, intimate relationship with Him. And 
then I will also understand what it means to live in a church with people that are also doing that. Hallelujah. I, I, I want to leave you with this message today that when we have, and we go and we baptize people and they go through the waters, this is a spiritual thing that is happening. It's not just because your head is going under the water and you're coming up. This is a deeply spiritual thing that is happening. It's so spiritual that when you come up out of the water, you can stand renewed in your purpose with life and you can say, I have died with Christ and I am resurrected with Him. And now I walk into my resurrection life and I walk with Him and I allow Him to be the one who leads me in everything. And I'm not distracted by all these natural realm things because the death of, of Jesus and His resurrection is my power. And with that power, I say to the devil, I resist you when you come against my money and against my relationships and against my thoughts and against my desires and against everything that you're trying to bring. I resist you, G devil, in the name of Jesus. And he might say to you, but you don't have any right to resist me like that. You say, I died with him and I was resurrected with him. I have every right. That's all the right. Yeah, but your behavior pattern, it died with Jesus and it's resurrected with Jesus. Yeah, but you did it yesterday after you were baptized. That person died and was resurrected. I'm just getting rid of the old habits. It's a deeply spiritual, oh, but your habits are still holding on to you. They're coming off me because I died with him and I was resurrected with him. And the same way sin has no power over Jesus' body, sin has no power over my body. Yeah, but you sinned yesterday, last night, man. That doesn't matter. That person is busy getting rid of that old rubbish. Because I died with him, I'm resurrected with him. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. I'm just going to say one more thing. It's in my spirit now. Let me tell you. There's a lot of people in, in the world that have got a lot to say about sex. And I want to tell you something. That if you are wanting to have sex the way the world says you should have sex, you are allowing the enemy of God that has come to destroy your life to destroy your relationship. Married or not. Sex is meant to be a beautiful thing in marriage. In fact, in marriage, it's meant to be the most beautiful thing you could ever wish for. It's the most intimate union, the most blessed, beautiful, pleasurable union you can have in marriage. And in marriage, if you do it with God, not only do you bring God's blessing to it, you bring all of what he knows about your body 
And so if you want to have a more fulfilling relationship with sex in your marriage, don't ask the world. Ask God. And ask God together with your marriage partner. He knows more about the man or the woman you married than you ever will. If you're in the Word and your relationship with each, honor, with each other is in God, it becomes honorable. And the minute it is honorable, all things are permitted in the marriage bed and it becomes powerful. Wow, it's quiet now. Hallelujah. And so I want to say this to you, finally. If sex is a problem, or sexual patterns, behaviors, is a problem, in death and resurrection, you resurrect the life of Christ in your relationship. Whatever troubles you have now, you can call on God to resurrect them. You can call on God to resurrect them. Just in the same way as He redeemed them, He can resurrect them. Well, Pastor John, how do you have sex that way? It's not for this morning session. There's little ones around here. We'll have a different session for that one day. We're young and old alike can attend and we'll tell you some straight, straight talk. Hallelujah. You mean you do that in this church? We haven't done it for a while, but we have. We even have CDs about it and only certain people are allowed to buy the CD. Huh. Well, I don't know if we have CDs anymore. It's probably on a disc somewhere. Anyway. Hallelujah. I believe the Lord has said and done what he needed to say today hallelujah praise the lord praise jesus praise jesus glory to god hallelujah won't you all stand with me please do you understand that what i read to you out of this book is an indication to you that the demonic realm is around you all the time. Don't think that because you live life and you don't see people foaming at the mouth and rolling around on the ground uh, because they're possessed by demons, that they're not active and busy and trying to actually undermine you and destroy your life. They are busy. They are busy. But I've got good news for you. You have angels that God has sent to you. You have an angel God sent to you. I've got good news for you that the word of God in your mouth is much more powerful than any dark force that you can come against. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Won't you put your hand 
on your heart like this and just say this with me and say, I am a son of God. I thank you, Lord, that you live in me and you've given me the power to live life in abundance with authority, with power, with freedom in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, we're about to get ourselves ready to go and uh, start to baptize people. There is sandwiches and tea and stuff for everybody out there if you want to watch what's going on. Watch the people getting water baptized. We need about 15 or 20 minutes to get ready. We should be ready around quarter to 11, thereabouts, 11 o'clock, uh, 10 to 11. So, Muni Warini. Watch, net. <laughs> I bless you in the name of Jesus. And I say, Father, that you are blessed coming in and going out of this church, of your home, of your business. You are blessed going in and coming out. No weapon formed against you prospers. I trust that the angels of God and the blood of Jesus create a barrier and a fortress around you that your jobs are safe, your income is safe, your, financial, your personal well-being is safe, and God's plan is at work to bring you to health and wealth and blessing in the name of Jesus. Do you agree with that? Then may the peace of God rest upon you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.